The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Sitting on a million, sitting on it every day. Can't make no money giving your stuff away. Why don't you do now? Like the millionaires do. Put your stuff on the market. You can make a million too. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe Weekend Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe Weekend Review. we got a fantastic program in store for you today. We're going to start off by talking with Terry Edom. He's an energy writer, and he also is the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, a book available on Amazon.com right now. Energy writer for the BOE Report. Forgot to mention that. A moment ago, Terry Edom talks about the religion of environmentalism and some tactics used by extremists. He explains the theme of his book, The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, and how the environmental movement is actually causing more harm to the planet than they are intending. For example, he cites an iPhone containing 78 elements from the periodic table, the amount of mining that goes into that, yet the energy industry gets picked on every single day from a lot of different environmentalists while they use their iPhone. That's one of the many examples that Terry Edom, an energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity, talks about on today's program. He also revisits a story from last fall about the potential of natural gas shortages. Despite an abundance of natural gas being mined, there's so much that they're flaring it over shale play USA. And there's not enough pipelines, processing plants, and value-added innovation going on right now in the world of oil and gas in order to capture all of that natural gas. So a lot of it's being flared away, and communities are experiencing a little bit of a natural gas shortage, or I should say a pinch, if you will, due to the lack of infrastructure for that abundance of a natural resource. So... Uh, Terry Edom talks a little bit about that as we revisit that story from last fall. Also, Tom Pexcamp, musician and singer-songwriter. Not only are you listening to the songs from Tom Pexcamp today, but we're going to sit down and have a little conversation with Tom about one of his songs he has on his album. Of course, you can check him out at the uh, Moody River Band. Moody River Band. It's uh, freerockandrollmusic.com if you'd like to check out their website or just go to their Facebook page. That's usually where they're the most active. You can, of course, purchase CDs from CD Baby, as well as uh, free downloads with Tom Pexcamp and the Moody Rivers Boys. Moody River Band. Moody River Boys. Moody River Band. I apologize, Tom. Moody River Band. One more time. Okay. Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuels Insanity, and Tom Pexcamp coming up in just a moment right here on the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Week in Review. But awake in the morning, Georgia's all I see. She's smiling back at me. Back at me. Little Georgia's all I see. 
wake in the morning, yes, I turn around. I wake in the morning, and she's smiling. Down. Jason Speece, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Back to the Multimedia Cafe, a week in review. My name is Jason Spees. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. This is Terry Edom, energy writer with the BOE Report. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us here today. In addition to the BOE Report, you're writing resume has gotten a little bit bigger and before we get into uh some of the topics on hand let's start off by your the end of fossil fuel insanity clearing the air before cleaning the air it's a book written by terry edam our guest here and talk to me a little bit about the book the process where it's available etc oh sure uh so the book originated i've been writing an energy column for four or five years now and uh, the point of the writing I try and do is to try and um, shave the edges off the extremes of the debate. We've, we've just become into such a locked, polarized debate here where um, there's a whole movement to kill the fossil fuel industry. And at the same time, there's a fossil fuel industry that points out, well, you can't survive without fossil fuels. We can't have our standard of living without fossil fuels. And it seems like the debate's just gotten very polarized and the... Um, the extremists have taken over the, the stage and the microphone, and they've been talking about how easy it is going to be to get off fossil fuels. And, and I think the, the fossil fuel industry, the petroleum industry is what I speak for mostly, um, has kind of taken the, the tack that people will realize that it's, it, it's, uh, it should be obvious how much we rely on fossil fuels. But I think people don't pay that much attention to their energy sources, particularly in urban areas. And so I think it's uh, the, the, the battle's just gotten away from us. So this is just an attempt to explain to people who are perhaps not directly involved in the petroleum industry um, just how reliant we are, just try and make them understand that, and how difficult it is going to be to go to different energy systems. I've brought up the phrase, the religion of environmentalism, because I believe that movement has turned into almost a religious type movement to where the the amount of blind faith and the amount of social causes that are really involved um it's it's i don't know just go ahead and take over from there is that is do you agree with that do you disagree with that is that anything your book talks no, about I, I agree with that absolutely that it, it's become a, a good versus evil thing in the minds of a lot of people and, and they, when i say they've taken the stage they're convincing people that it is evil to burn oil or natural gas is evil and and because you're destroying the planet and it's an easy sell because people get scared by those sorts of messages and um and, and it's just such a flawed argument because it's actually what gives us life like and if you look at the the recent cold snap that we've had here like in chicago a couple of weeks ago there like what would have happened to that city if those natural gas lines had gone down going into the city there's actually an incident in um 
uh, Rhode Island. This was just before Christmas, where they declared a state of emergency because the natural gas demand was so high that it depressurized the system and people couldn't get enough supplies. They had to cut off 7,000 customers. That's not just homes, that's, or that's not 7,000 people, that's 7,000 customers. So that could be buildings, it could be all sorts of things. And they had to declare a state of emergency. That, that's how close these some of these communities are to a, a disaster and uh, if, if fossil fuel supplies were cut, never mind transportation or or imagine no air travel or something like that. And, and I think that the, the our industry hasn't been doing a great job of, of, of elaborating on that to people. We think it's obvious to people, but it's not. So so you're right, it's become a religion and it's become you're evil if you're on one side and if you're good if you're on the other, even though uh, we're the ones that keep everyone alive. So, Mr. Terry Edom, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment. When we return, we continue the conversation with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. I was two years old when John Lennon died Well, I was 23 when George said goodbye Yeah, next go, I think it's Paul, I see Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool, joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. This is a very interesting conversation because this is the birth of the planet's champion, the champion of the planet. I've, I've, I've toyed with this, call it, you know, re- wrestling gimmick, if you will, um, to almost go over the top to elaborate a point of what you just talked about. The industry does not do a good job of this, and I agree, they don't. And um, the one side has painted a picture of fear, like you said, and the, when, in fact, the oil and gas industry could paint a reality of fear, not, not a speculative fear, because I'll get into that no, in, ju- in just a moment. Absolutely real. But, but, yeah. the, but the reality is, is that if fossil fuels went away at, say, 30% of what they're doing now, that would have an enormous disruption on the planet. It would have an enormous disruption on our way of life. It would have an enormous disruption on from the economy to just basically, uh, you know, like you said, transportation in general. So well, life as we know it would change if you if you took thirty percent away from uh, the, the imagine a heating source gone in winter like I just mentioned or, or or not being able to transport food or or not being able to transport things by ship or, or air travel anything any of those that you mentioned it, it would just have such catastrophic consequences and but people take it for granted. 
You know, and the the thing that I've always thought about, like the, this argument, I, I used to joke that I don't mind putting environmentalists on our program if they want to have an intelligent conversation. I don't mind that at all. Um, we're you know we're we have a lot of oil and gas programs as well as our non-oil and gas programs are still anchored uh, with oil and gas because it's that it's that important within our economy. It's that important in right. our lifestyle. It's that important with our life. And we just feel that's important for people to know. So right. we don't mind having the opposition on. At, you know, I, we, we had we had Dapple protesters on. They, they had a legitimate argument in the beginning. And then it went on by the wayside very quickly. And it turned into, like you said, a, a good versus evil thing. And there was no logic anymore in anything. But right. Right. Um, when they, you know, are, are serving me a Keurig coffee or, you know, that sort of like a Keurig is one of the worst things for the environment. I mean, if if if, if you want to go behind their argument of the single serving plastic, et cetera, et cetera, I, I just laugh at it and I won't have them on the program because they're talking ridiculousness. Anybody who says that we need to eliminate fossil fuels really is not having a very intelligent conversation. They're just not. Now, they're if, just not. no, they're not. They're, they're just not. There's no argument against it. Um, I'm sorry. That's just that's just a very factual statement. Anybody who says that they want to eliminate fossil fuels, that's an extreme, unrealistic thought. Now, let's say if they want to have a discussion on how to maybe go back to glass bottles instead of plastic, or figure something out of, um, you know, those uh, what, what what are those uh, six pack uh, ring holders that you know the, oh, yeah, the, the right. fish, yeah. fish are getting stuck in out in the ocean. Yeah. Okay. You know what? That, that that's a great that's a great conversation because that you know plastic bags, uh, those ring things in plastic bottles that would have enough of a dent to where enough people would have to shift certain parts of their life, but it wouldn't have this sweeping effect across every part of life that we know it. But I think yeah. the oil and gas industry would even be open to a conversation like that, don't you? I mean, because to me, they I've seen the oil and gas industry really being the only proactive people in this. <laughs> How's yeah. that for irony? <laughs> it is, it is. And, and they would absolutely be open to it. And even the a lot of the, the, um, the petroleum people I talked to downtown here, and I talked to a lot of them in, in the heart of Canada's petroleum business here, like a lot of them will even say, yeah, there, there is a, a date when we won't rely on fossil fuels as much. We, we agree with them on that. It's just that it's not in 10 years. It's going to be in 40 or 50 years, and it's going to be really, really hard to get there. And We really need to think about it and have a roadmap how to get there rather than just saying, well, we have to stop it now uh, because there's no thought that goes into that. And that's the you're right. I think the, the some of the examples you gave there are, are the place to start. You go for the low hanging fruit. Like why why, do, why aren't we tackling those things first? And I use an example in the book there. I don't I don't know what it's like in your state, but here we have a deposit on on soda cans and and beer cans and stuff. You return them, you get your deposit back. Well, why don't we have that on everything? Why don't you have it on a Starbucks cup? And why don't you have it as a two dollar deposit? Would you think any of those will get thrown in the garbage if you have to pay a two dollar deposit on a cup? Like it's. Uh, we, we just need to incentivize people to act in a, a different way so that they stop wasting things. No, I agree completely. Uh, Terry Edom with us. He's an energy reporter for the BOE Report, energy writer for the BOE Report. And we say writer because he also write, wrote a book called The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity, Clearing the Air Before Cleaning the Air. And we're kind of using that as our, our thesis, talking about some of the Issues actually in oil and gas that are going on, whether it be from a PR standpoint or whether it be from a, 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 the religion of environmentalism or just the whole 
misinformation that seems to be out there on, on a regular basis. The one that I like to talk to these activists about who want to get rid of fossil fuels tomorrow um, when it comes to like cars, you know, they, they like to talk about electric cars. They like to talk about wind energy. They like to talk about solar energy. And that, that's a frustrating conversation because it's easier to talk to a, to a walnut tree than it is to talk to these people. Because honestly, we're coal and lithium batteries. I mean, when you start thinking about some of the things that they're saying are all the evils of, you know, fracking and mining and all these other things, their solution is a lot of times not better, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, it, it's it's no. actually worse. Right. And they, 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 they take these things for granted, like you say, that an uh, uh, electric vehicle is, uh, is better for the environment. But if you pull together the web of components that go into that and the, the infrastructure that's required to find and mine all of those things and bring it to the assembly point, um, if, if, you, if you've ever seen a the environmental disaster in China from their rare earth processing, which goes into magnets, which goes into uh, electric vehicles. Like it's just an, an environmental nightmare. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, that's all part of the equation, but they don't see that. They only see the car that gets plugged into the, to the wall. And, and then even the, the, the cars that get plugged into the wall, like they, they, the, the extremists say, well, we, we have to get rid of all our vehicles and go to electric vehicles, but they don't even think about that either. Like, and, and you can take a, a good example is in your house. If you plug in three things on the same circuit, you blow a breaker, right? Well, what happens if, a, if an apartment building plugs in 100 Teslas at once? Well, what breaker gets broken? Like the, the infrastructure that brings electricity to residential areas is was not built for those kind of loads. And, and to think that you can just convert everyone to those new cars, it's just, it's just ludicrous. Nobody's even thought about that. Well, and I even look at like wind, you know, wind, and I'm not a fan of wind, and I never have been. I like windmills on farms. I think there is a great use for a personal, like smaller scale wind piece that you can maybe put on your house. I've seen some communities, they've got some vertical winds. Chicago's got a lot of them on skyscrapers. In fact, in like India and some of the foreign countries, uh, on the medians, they'll have uh, like wind turbines that are vertical so that not only do you get the wind, but you get the velocity of the cars going by. So, you know, these are some really innovative Great ideas. Idea. Yeah, that that don't need to be these bigger than life turbines that, you know, you have to have 50 jobs for every turbine. You know what, sometimes those economics don't work. Those numbers no, just don't work. And I don't know about what your opinion is on wind, but for me, that is the one energy source that I think is is probably the worst one out of all of them. I mean, I'm, I'm including coal in there and everything because coal's made some amazing advancements when it comes to uh, clean coal energy, that sort of thing. And I get it, they're, they're, they're still got a ways to go, et cetera. But to me, wind as the replacement for coal is not working out. They need to rely on natural gas. And also um, it's not replacing one megawatt of coal is replacing one me megawatt of wind, if that makes sense. Right. And, and the, 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 there's the second order um, circumstances that happen when you flood the market with wind power and solar power. And that's been seen in some jurisdictions where um, they subsidize these installations. So they, they uh, pay, pay people to put up turbines and solar farms. They generate huge lots of power. They, they do for a few hours a day at the wrong time of day. And that drives power prices down. And, and we've seen some of the established players 
don't want to be in the industry anymore, like the, the base load coal and natural gas. Mr. Terry Edom asks you to hold that thought for just a moment. When we continue the conversation in just a moment with Terry Edom, an energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. My name is Jason Spies, and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. You know that I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried. Well, I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied. You know we do what we do so we can survive And I was two years old when John Lennon died Meridian Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, coming up next, we continue the conversation with Terry Edom, an energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. don't want to be in the industry anymore, like the, the base load coal and natural gas facilities. Their, their business gets that much harder because they don't make as much money off the power, but they have to be there to supply power when they do, the renewables don't. So they, they create havoc in the system that these people don't even think about um, the consequence of this. There's, I think in uh, 2018 in California, there was something like over 100 instances where power prices went negative because of the excess being generated by um, wind and solar. And, and so, so for these poor power producers that are... Um, selling into the grid at the time when that glut is coming on, they're actually losing money for having their plants operating. What kind of an incentive is that? And how does that work in the long run? It just doesn't work. So, You know, I'm thinking, the more I'm thinking about this, I'm going to order a belt and I'm going to start a little, little campaign, the planet's champion. And you know what? The belt's going to be made entirely out of petroleum products. And, um, you know, because the more I'm thinking, I mean, honestly, I, I've been thinking that this is this is really backwards when the most proactive environmentalists on the planet, a lot of them truly are oil and gas companies. I, I, I honestly I feel I feel very confident saying that now. I wondered it for the last five years, but now I feel really confident, especially after seeing the Davis Refinery, Meridian Energy Group, the lengths that they've gone to make sure that. 
Um, their their refinery is pumping out some you know some clean uh, energy that sort of thing. And now they just uh, did a letter of intent down in Texas, so they're going to do a second refinery now. And understanding how they have gone about making sure that the emissions and the air quality is there is absolutely amazing. I haven't heard anybody in any argument for any environmental wave ever come close to making any sort of solutionable argument or solutionable statement, if that makes sense. No, and, and especially if you take in context the fact that, now you can look at a place like Texas or, or North Dakota or the Bakken or Marcellus or wherever, and you can look at these areas and say, oh, yes, you do have a, a, a big environmental footprint. Your emissions are high. But consider why they're high. The The U.S. produces 12 million barrels a day of oil, which is 12% of global energy. Just think of that for a second. 12% of global energy. Now, that has to have a, an environmental footprint. Anything that's 12% of the global economy is going to have a massive environmental footprint. If you take all of the iPhones that they won't live without or their cell phones, what's the What's the environmental footprint of a cell phone? A cell phone has 78 elements on the periodic table out of 118. They come from every corner of the earth, and they're found, and they're mined, and they're processed, and they're transported, and then refined, and then reassembled. The, the footprint of these things is enormous. So to single out the energy industry, who's, who's making all this happen, it, it's just too absurd for words, really. But we have to do it anyways. <laughs> we have to get out there and spread the message, so. Do you say the cell the cell phone has got seventy eight different elements from the periodic table? Yeah, isn't that astonishing? That is absolutely astonishing. I've you know I've heard of the lithium in terms of being the lithium mining is one of the worst minings for the planet in terms of rankings and things like that. It's up there with the old days of the old gold and ore, you know, where they just leave the open yeah. pits. So well, I you know well, I, I, I I understand that argument, and I've heard that a lot of the um, conductor wires are made from either gold, silver. A lot of them are out of silver because the amount of energy that's being conducted in such a small processor needs to be a good energy conductor. And that's why gold and silver and platinum have have had uh, value over time because and copper to some extent too because they're good conductors of, of electricity and they're malleable. And so my understanding is there was a lot of silver in that, but I, boy, 78, that is a lot of different elements. I, I was shocked when I was researching that for the book. Um, and and I, I was like in disbelief too, but if you, if you uh, go through and look at the rare earth elements and the, um, yeah, a lot of rare components that go into it, just trace elements, but they're all necessary. I assume they're necessary. That's why they're in there. Yeah. Um, wow. it, it's shocking and, and where it all comes from. And if anyone was to, I'd like to see someone sit down and, piece together the environmental footprint of a single cell phone and, and that would be just astonishing i think that would be amazing actually and i'm surprised somebody hasn't done that yet well yeah well you know a lot of people aren't interested in even talking about that it's the same thing as um uh, all of the the united nations and the international panel on climate change or whatever um they're they're they fill our ears relentlessly about the evils of fossil fuels but have a look at where all of their conferences are held they're held in Mexico, they're held in um, Australia, they're held in Peru, they're held in Poland. They, they, they fly every exotic location you can think of. The middle of the Pacific Ocean in Mauritius, some little island I hadn't even heard of, they go to some tropical resort there to have a climate change conference. And it's like, are you, are you people trying to mock us? That's what it seems like to me. 
because they show no regard for limiting consumption, but they're they're more than willing to attack the people that put the fuel in the planes that keep them in the air, which to a lot of us just does is it's just nonsensical, but that's what they do. So, Terry Edom with us, uh, energy writer for the BOE Report. He has a book out, "The End of Fossil Fuel Insanity." Clearing the air before cleaning the air. It's available Amazon.com as well as uh, well Amazon Kindle, which is Amazon.com. So, okay, um, so yeah, just head there to buy it. And what else do we got come up? Oh, the reason why we have you on is we want to kind of do a little follow up of an interview we did several months ago about the potential for natural gas shortages. Uh, to kind of illustrate the fact that we have all this natural gas and this abundance of natural gas, but until we can find a technology to make it economical to store it, it's being wasted uh, to the tune to where we actually have cities like Chicago. And you referenced earlier Rhode Island actually went to a state of emergency because of it. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about that, about the uh, the story that you wrote before our prediction or your prediction and our conversation and then kind of where we're at with, um, you know, the Rhode Island and anybody else seeing any potential. Because in in North Dakota, they've gone like 51, 52 days below zero or below freezing, you know. And so we're Mm -hmm. getting to where now we're starting to get into the cold season. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we're on the way out. But uh, so when I wrote that article, that was heading into fall, and we were uh, the, the U.S. was heading into a, a, the lowest storage levels in, in decades, and uh, winter was coming, and the, the the low storage didn't seem to phase anyone because their the attitude was that well, there's all sorts of wells that can be turned on at a moment's notice, and so we don't need a lot of storage, and U.S. gas storage. Uh, capacity hasn't really grown that much it's grown some but not a lot nowhere near what consumption has grown so the the article i wrote was like i I hope people wake up and pay attention to their possible risk here uh if you did have a cold winter from say i don't know beginning of december right through that if you depleted supplies what would happen and i'm sure some people especially now we made it through winter and it wasn't cold for a long time so we're okay on the storage side but some people might look at it and go well see the system works or that was just fear-mongering or whatever but the 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 point still holds and and the fact that the winter was warmer it's been colder like you said for now but uh, before in the earlier part of the year um, when demand could be really high we made it through okay um but the danger hasn't gone away and then these these smaller events like you mentioned here just point out again the the uh, how close we are to like real trouble um and in chicago when they had that extreme cold snap a few weeks ago there where it got so cold it was only for a few days uh, there was a compressor fire uh, somewhere outside of chicago and it limited the flow and um, as an emergency measure they shut down i think 13 auto manufacturing plants somewhere because they were just such they could shut them down and they were such big draws of natural gas um, but that that's how close we are to trouble and if and if you think of an apartment building even where you live there with, that had its natural gas shut off for a day um, in conditions like this, like what would happen to the population? And that was Terry Edom, energy writer for the BOE Report and the author of The End of the Fossil Fuel Insanity. To check out the entire interview or to listen to other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe Week in Review is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, YouTube, 
All of those social media links are available at thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. That's thecrudelife.com and click on the social media tab. Be one of the 350,000 social media followers within that network. My name is Jason Spies and you're listening to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Energy Group of Belfield, North Dakota is building the most technologically advanced oil refinery on the planet, the Davis Refinery, a project designed to achieve emission control levels the industry has never seen before. The Davis Refinery, working for North Dakota. Meridian Energy Group, Inc.com. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. So here's to all of the good thinkers and here's to the lonely drinker but don't you know let this moment pass welcome back to the multimedia cafe we can review my name is jason space thank you folks for joining us this week here at the multimedia cafe we can review a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about coming up next we talk with tom pexcamp the musician and singer-songwriter Americana, there's country, there's, um, gosh, I mean, I think we dabble a little bit of, of everything. We have um, a horn that plays with us that adds some of that, that maybe big band stuff you're mm-hmm. thinking of. Um, but I mean, we're folk, folk rock. I mean, I, it's always tough to pin a genre on yourself, but um, I would maybe call us like, you know, blues, rock and roll, Americana, somewhere in there. Mostly uh, street festivals now. Is that what you, or what, what, what's your main gig now, do you think? Well, um, we've, we've slowed down a little bit this last year just with family stuff um, coming up and, and, and getting a handle on that. And, I, I, you know, that's been more my deal and our drummers. Um, but we've, we've been wanting to get back into it a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's local stuff. Um, we did a few of the little kind of parking lot parties, some of the, uh, the beer festivals and things like that. Um, it's a great opportunity. These breweries that are opening up all over the place, they've kind of become the new coffee shop. Yeah, you know um, where where people are are going to ex- ex- and expecting to hear music to gather to socialize. Um, instead of a cup of coffee, it's a craft beer. Well, and you guys played Hatch Hatch Realty's uh, Hatch Fest Hatchstock. Yeah, that was that was a blast. We, uh, yeah, that was pretty fun. They had the ladies from Tiger Lily there, and can, yeah, can cool. you believe a couple thousand people just on a 
Friday night, show up out <laughs> to the Eric Hatch's parking lot. Yeah, it was it was hot. It was hot. I was in Madison, Wisconsin at Pokemon Regionals for my son. He uh, placed in the top eight, and he made it to Pokemon International. Wow. So yeah, he's. Uh, He's in the syndicate now, so to oh, speak. Geez. Yeah, yeah. But uh, otherwise, I would have been at Hatchstock. Yeah, yeah. I, went, I went last year. Uh, Johnson Family Band yep. and Flatliners played. Yep. Yeah. Flatlands. Yep, yep. <laughs> Flatliner. Yeah, the movie or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry, Alex, Bill, and yeah, right. uh, whoever else is in Flatliners these days. Uh, Flatlands these days just did it again. <laughs> All right, time for a new song. What, what, what do we got next? Oh, uh, I was just kind of doing that. Um, what do you think? Oh. Uh, how about um, maybe picking on the devil, or picking on the devil? What's uh, that? Come on now, some of our stations, the uh, Tea Party's liberal, so well, we don't want to get too much. We well, don't scare it's, them. It's it's um, I got in a fight with my wife, and it wasn't like a really bad fight, and it kind of turned comical because there was a, I had a box of yarn that was from a garage sale or something, and I like threw a ball of yarn not at her but just like in general. And it was just really funny because what's a ball of yarn really going to do, you know? Right. And so the cat got excited, and then it was just kind of, you know, the the fight really diffused fast. Um, then we just threw all the yarn in the box because it was, was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it, this line came out of that, and it's picking on the devil and fighting on you. It's kind of like I'm I'm just kind of picking on, on on things to pick on them and you know, kind of stir in trouble where, you know, why no 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 real reason but you are and sounds and, uh, good to be not about you know domestic uh, no, no, no no <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not biblical at all uh, no, no, no 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 sense but all right hang on let's get what's all right what's the name of the song uh picking on the devil you'll be the whistle and i'll be the bell You'll be the wish, honey, I'll be the well You'll be the bird and I'll be the call You'll be the cannon and I'll be the ball So I'm picking on the devil and I'm fighting with you Been yelling, I've been screaming, climbing up the wall. Yeah, the rain don't mind which way it falls, and it falls, it falls, it Ain't no 
Tom Pexcamp, musician, singer, songwriter. To listen to the full length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Multimedia Cafe Week in Review is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, and all of those social media links are available at thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. 350,000 social media followers, thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. And that's going to do it this week for the Multimedia Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies, thanking you very much for choosing us as part of your weekly content. We know there's a lot of places out there to get your content. Well, here at the Multimedia Cafe, all of our interviews are exclusive, and we thank you very much for choosing us as part of your weekly content once again. Whether you're listening to us on the radio, thank you very much. We'll be back this week at this time on this radio station. And, of course, if you're listening online via the web or maybe you've downloaded us on a podcast through iTunes or one of our many other podcast platforms, thank you very much for choosing us as part of your weekly content. From the staff at the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Hot stuff will say, why don't you do now? Like the millionaires do. Put your stuff on the market. You can make a million Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. 
and then you will let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 